Good morning. It's great to see everybody here. Um, one of the things I love about fall is uh, everybody coming back from all their vacations and mission trips and camp and getting to see more people. It's great to see uh, old faces and uh, new faces and everywhere in between. So thank you for being here this morning. Um, I, I know we all have a lot of stories from this summer. Uh, this afternoon we have a fellowship picnic instead of our first Sunday fellowship meal right out here. I hope you come back and go out to uh, shelter number two at Roan County Park and we can all just fellowship. We'll also have a short time of worship and uh, em Emmeline Jones, our new um, children's ministry director, is going to be there. That would be a great chance for you to hang out, get to know her a little bit, but also just fellowship. This morning, as much as I'd love to tell a bunch of stories or sit down and just visit and, and hear those, we're going to jump right into this final message of our summer series, which is how to tell the story. Now, we're talking about how to live the gospel, which is the most powerful part of sharing it. The most powerful part of telling the story is that you, you've experienced it. You have something to back up your words because you know what you're talking about. People can see it in your lives. We've looked at several different situations, very specific skills and strategies. And this morning, we're looking at how to tell the story and leave a legacy. How, how to do whatever, whatever we possibly can so that our life is actually bigger than life. It's bigger than just our own life, what we could do ourselves. Groucho Marx once said, I intend to live forever or die trying. I like that one. Um, another time he was asked in an interview, uh, what they were trying to ask him was what kind of a legacy he wanted to leave, but they, not realizing who they were talking to and how he always made little jokes, they said, what would you like people to say about you in 100 years? And he said, I'd like them to say, my, he looks good for his age. <laughs> and all that's funny, it's funny, but it's, it's mostly funny in a dark way because we know that's impossible. Groucho was, he, he was like, a really famous guy and really funny and all that, but he died in 1977. And I'm sure a bunch of the people today are going, who? Seriously. But that's the thing. I, when I was younger, I used to dream um, and, and feel like if I didn't accomplish this dream, I, I, I wouldn't really have any self-worth. And that was, I wanted to create something, uh, specifically a song, but it could be anything. But I wanted to create something that made a huge impact on the world. So I could be the guy who who wrote that song, or the guy who did that. I really wanted that. Um, nowadays, God has just kind of wrecked me and torn me up in several different ways, and literally all I dream about now is to be a catalyst in other people's lives. What I really want, more than anything, is not to be the guy who did that, but the guy kind of behind the scenes that's saying, yeah, I knew them when they were first getting started. I think I showed them something. Now they could show me a bunch, but I... I was there at the beginning. I, I got to be part of that. I'm the one who encouraged them to go do that. Uh, just to know that my life is a story that hopefully will inspire other stories, better stories than mine. That's enough for me now. If, if, I, if my life is the kind of life that inspires other people to live their lives fully, that's, that's all I want. So this is a very personal message to me this is this final one is is I believe something really that God wants to say to this this congregation at this moment in time put a lot of prayer and, and research into it but it's also something very personal to me because this is really this is something God has been showing me for a long long time 
One of the stories we've looked at all this whole summer is that of Desmond Doss. And I think you've heard it enough, so I'm not going to retell his story. But as amazing as his story was, what amazes me even more is that his story inspired other conscientious objectors to join the military and serve in such a valiant way that they received the Congressional Medal of Honor. The fact that that happened once is unheard of and unbelievable to me. The fact that his story inspired a bunch of people now. Now he's not the only person ever, and how could that happen? He's the first of several who have that's happened to. That's amazing to me. We've walked through the story of Joseph all summer, and we talked about how in his life he did amazing things. He saved the world as he knew it. He reunited his family. He paved the way for the Messiah and all the stories in between him and the Messiah, that all the stories we know about Israel, Moses, and the tabernacle, and all that stuff would never have happened if Joseph would not have remained faithful. So he accomplished quite a bit, but his legacy is even bigger. He had, and, and every time we tell his story, countless people throughout all the generations since have been inspired to stay faithful to God in the moments when it seems like God has obviously forgotten you. To stay faithful, to forgive when it seems like there's no possible way you could ever forgive that. It was just too big. Joseph's story in and of itself is a big deal. But his legacy is even bigger. How do we live like that? How do we, how do we somehow, is, is there anything at all that we can do that could somehow have a better chance of inspiring other people to live differently? One of the things I, I've looked at, actually spent several hours researching, was the regrets that people have at the end of their life. And one thing that amazed me is no matter which source I looked up, there was a lot of harmony between them. Whether it was Forbes.com and you'd think that would just be about regrets about money or something like that or whatever, Christian sources, non-Christian sources, there, were, there was a lot of common regrets. And I'd like to share the three most common with you this morning because I think that knowing what we're not aiming for is a really important thing to know as well as what we are. But almost everyone at the end of their life, if you talk to hospice experts or anybody else who's ever been with a lot of people as they die, these are three things that almost everyone regrets in one way or another. At the end, almost everyone wishes that they had, first of all, not spend so much time working. Now, this doesn't mean they wish they would have been more lazy or they would have just sat around and done nothing or never cared about their work. What they're saying is there was something in their life that they cared about more than their family, more than anything else that they should have been caring about. And that passion, that drive, that desire to be the best at work, the best person in the office, the best person at whatever else, that drove them so much that they wish they would have spent less time on that. The second major regret was um, they wish they would have taken better care of themselves. And again, depending on the source, the website or wherever, some of that was health reasons. I wish I'd never started smoking, wish I would have stopped, that kind of thing. But the, more than anything, the, the harmony was this. I wish I would have chosen to be happy. I wish I would have noticed how beautiful some of the days were. I wish I would have realized how blessed I was even on the darkest darkest days. I wish I would have taken time to just breathe. I wish I would have taken time to just really live. I wish I would have taken more risks. 
They realized that they would have been happy the entire time, happier the entire time, and had a lot better memories and a lot better legacy if they would have just been fully present each day, even the hard ones. And the third really super common one is at the end, almost everyone wishes that they had been more loving to the people that they love. They wish they had been more loving to the people that they love. In other words, that they had learned to speak their love language and spoken it often and well. We're going to lay a foundation here and we're going to keep going. I want you to keep that in mind, though. This, this is going to come back around. But Proverbs 3, 5 through 7 is a foundational truth. It's, a, it's not an accident. This is one of the better known verses in the Bible or passages, I guess, in the Bible. But here, here's what I'd like you to do is read this out loud with me this morning. I want you to know that no matter what else we're going to talk about, it has to start with this. This is the foundation to leave a legacy that actually honors God. Let's say this together. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. I think one of the things that's most dangerous to us as we, as we try to go through life and make choices is that we spend a lot of energy justifying our choices instead of making better ones. We spend as much or more energy trying to get everybody to agree with us and realize how we couldn't help not doing the right thing in that moment and give us a break as we could have spent just doing the right thing. Justification is just, a, it's a self-delusion. It doesn't fool anybody. Excuses don't do anything, really. They just kind of waste all of our time. But we spent so much time on that. And a lot of times we make the excuse when we're treating people that we love, how we treat them. We make the excuse, well, they understand. They're the people that, that understand. They get it. They understand me. That's ridiculous. Don't. Why would you be rude to the people who can take it? Most of the people in this room, I would say, have learned in some way or another to be polite to total strangers, even on your very best day. Why hold that in and take that out on the people you love the most, the people who do understand when you get home? That's one of the best things I could tell you this morning about how to leave a better legacy is to invest in the people who have invested in you. To, to treat the people who do understand, who would give you grace, who would get it, who would forgive you, who would give you another chance. Treat them even better than you treat the total strangers. Watch how that investment turns things around. I love that idea in Proverbs 3, 5 through 7 where it says, Do not depend on your own understanding. Just to help you under, remind it, <clears throat> remember it this morning, I'd like you to say this with me. Do not depend on your families understanding let's say that one more time do not depend on your family's understanding show them what a godly life looks like just get serious about it at the heart of all of this that's what that's what it really takes just just actually do what you're talking about just actually live it out just be that person that you want to be just do the things that you want to do the things you're teaching the things you're talking about just get it done they will give you grace. When you fail, and you will fail, they will give you grace. But don't depend on that. 
Don't let your whole day, your whole daily strategy, your whole passion, the way you live your life be, everybody's going to give me grace. Let that be for when you slip up. Invest in the good stuff. Make time to be with them. Learn their love languages and speak them. Say what you need to say in the moment. At the heart of anything that ever makes a lasting impact is just the idea that the Bible calls discipline. There's two kinds of discipline. One is punishment for when we do wrong. The other is discipline to just force yourself to do something right. I like to call that habit discipline. It's where you do something over and over and over, whether you feel like it or not, and you just make sure you get the job done. Both of those are in the scripture. We see God doing both of those things uh, himself. We see him punishing evil, and we see him also giving a lot of grace and forgiveness along the way. We also see him doing things that are good over and over and over again. And then he commands those same two things from us. But what you see the most when you see discipline in the scriptures is this habit discipline. You see that, that, that much more. You see that happening over and over because that's what works. Paul uses the metaphor of um, athletics a lot to explain that. 1 Corinthians 9, he writes this. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. It's awesome to say that you love people. I think that's one of the things probably most of us fail at the most is to just, just say it out loud to the people that we love. I, I love you. We need to do that more. But even more, I, I think it's important to remember that real love includes discipline. I'm especially speaking to you parents right now and anyone in any leadership capacity at all. I, I, I think you need to understand and remember that, that part of our job as leaders of any kind, and especially as parents, is to help our children and those who follow us in any capacity, to help them get where they're going, whatever that takes. And usually whatever that takes is a lot of hard work over and over and over and over and over again. And it's making that happen. And if we're just giving them grace, if we're allowing them to lean on our own understanding, we're failing them. That's not enough. We've got to make that happen. Ephesians 6.4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and the instruction that comes from the Lord. That's a whole nother thing. Uh, there's a new parenting um, Bible study class, whatever you want to call it. It's going to come, start next Sunday night. I'd love to see you guys be part of that. Sticky Faith is starting back up this fall. Love to invite you to be part of that. Uh, we may even have two groups going. A lot of stuff there. Don't have a lot of time to talk about parenting this morning. Let me say two things really quick because I think as we leave a legacy, these are two things that two mistakes a lot of people make. I want to make sure I throw this out at least this much. Ready? Number one, it's a huge, tragic mistake to justify any kind of dysfunction or any kind of abuse 
using scriptures that say this person is the head of the family, this person is supposed to submit to this person. If we justify dysfunction or abuse, that is intolerable. That is not what Jesus is talking about. That is not what Paul is writing about. That is not ever okay. Discipline, even the punishment kind of discipline, is not abuse and it's not dysfunction and it's not those terrible things. And it is not okay. That is not what I'm talking about. That is not what the Bible's talking about. Second tragic mistake, though, is kind of the opposite. A lot of times what we do is in an attempt to keep from getting to dysfunction or abuse, we do nothing. We put all our energy into not being that kind of a parent, not being that kind of a father or that kind of a mother, not being her, not being him. And when we do that, a lot of times what happens is we fail to pass on what needs to be passed on. That's just as huge and just a tragic mistake. Because this idea of discipline and instruction and passing that torch on, of intentionally leaving a legacy, is foundational to everything that we believe in. Three big ideas we've walked through every single time in one way or another, but this morning I'm going to apply them in this, in this final way, and I hope this makes sense and kind of ties up all the rest of it together. But every single time this whole summer I've, tra- I've, I've challenged you guys to pray more, to ask God for opportunities to share the truth, also to just get out there and tell it somehow, just talk out loud, say out loud, and also to actually live the story. We focused on living it. But let's talk about prayer for a moment in the, in the context of leaving a legacy. In Matthew 6, Jesus makes it really clear that prayer is more about sinking our will with God's will. It's more about submission, more about pledging allegiance to God as king than it is about trying to get him to do our will. We've walked through that several different times. But again, I want to remind you that if you feel weak this morning, if, if as I'm encouraging, no, you can. You can leave a wet legacy. You can do this. I want you to know something. When you sink yourself with God and his will, he not only gives you something to do, but he empowers you to do it. He opens your eyes to the gifts and the skills and the experiences that you already have, and he gives you new ones. He makes you able to do that. I think this is at least part of what Paul was talking about when he wrote to Timothy, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and of self-discipline. I think that's what John was writing about when he said, we've got to walk in the light as he is in the light. And in that same passage, he says very clearly, when we do sin, Jesus covers over our sins. He helps us. But that's not the same thing as walking in the light. When we walk in the light, we see our sin more clearly and we repent and we move on. Another thing you've seen this whole summer is on the cover of every bulletin is this new logo that we've got. Um, I'd like to explain that to you this morning because it's, it's, it's got so much meaning in it. There, there's, it repre- every single part of it represents several things. And the whole point of it, the only reason it exists is to help us tell the story better. So again, I don't think logos save the world. I don't think that's Jesus. Jesus didn't say go into all the world and make logos. 
But I also think that what he said is, is to do whatever it takes to get the job done. This is just one thing that we believe is going to help us to do a better job. But this is what it means. Whenever you see this in any way, there's like that's a negative version of it. There's a positive version on this side. There's, sometimes it's in a circle. There's all these things. But here's, here's what this is talking about. This is why we're trying to broadcast this out. Number one, it's a bird because in Scripture... Anytime you, not every single time, but often, when you see people trusting God and obeying God, in some sort of a way, a bird shows up. Uh, whether that is the Holy Spirit coming on Jesus when he, um, in the form of a dove when he was baptized, or whether that is um, Noah using a dove to try and find out if he could get out of the ark or not, whether that's Elijah being fed by ravens, whether that's God comparing himself to an eagle teaching his baby how to fly, or a hen protecting its children from eagles. You, you see a lot of birds, and it always has something to do with, with us trusting God enough to obey him. And when we do that, he provides and he guides us. That's, that's why it's a bird. Second thing, in the middle you probably see the Trinity symbol. This part of the, all the lines of the bird also make the Trinity symbol. It's all one great thing. Obviously that represents God himself. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But it also represents the, the unity, the kind of unity that we're seeking here at this church. That we already have but are seeking even more. And that is where we find our unity based on you, that's one. Me, that's two. Three. God, we, we all seek our unity based on uh, our mutual passion to pursue him and his will. And we meet in the middle and that's where we find our unity. That's how we build the kingdom of God. Every, every, his tail and each of the wings all have four feathers. That's because we have four purposes. These are based on the Great Commission. Go, make disciples, baptize, teach to obey all the things I've commanded. Here's how that works. We're talking about if Jesus said go, we want to reach out strategically. We call that strategic outreach. If he says make disciples of all the nations, we want to keep asking the question, who aren't we reaching and how can we reach them? Are we only reaching one group of people? Are there other groups of people we could reach right now? What would it take to reach them? Spiritual growth, baptizing people, not just inviting them to come and show up once in a while, but to go ahead and give their whole life to Christ and then to teach them to obey everything that Christ commanded. Spiritual growth has got to be right there. And then transparent connections. This is not only all of these things, finding unity and making these things happen, but also in acknowledging that Jesus promised that when we do this, that he will be with us always even to the end of the world. That we can find unity, we can find purpose, we can leave a legacy. We can not only accomplish things right here, right now, in real time, but we can leave a story that inspires more stories. We can live a life as a group that inspires others to live and serve God and build his kingdom more fully. So we pray. We also, we tell the story. Logo signs, again, that's not the whole thing, but I hope that comes in handy. I hope you do that. But when you're trying to say, again, when you're trying to share the gospel, you've got to share it. When you're trying to tell your family and your friends and the people you work with that you love them, you need to say that you love them. 
When you're trying to tell someone you're, you're struggling to forgive them or you do forgive them or whatever else, you need to say that out loud. We have to tell people stuff. And we've got to remember that these choices that we make, even if it's just the things that we choose to say, they do have an impact for generations to come. Generations and generations to come. Good and bad. I guarantee you that every person in this room can think back to maybe when you were in kindergarten and remember something really hurtful someone said to you. Anybody? I can. I bet, you can, I bet there's things that still resonate day after day after day, and it shouldn't have. You should have been able to live that go, but that's still, that's still, that's still eating away at you. I bet you also, though, I bet you can remember some positive things. Some, some that some, even a random stranger, but especially with somebody who loved you, who said, man, you're really good at such and such. And that's what started you, like, really investing and getting really good at that such and such. You know what I'm talking about? Like, this is, this is how we work. It has an impact way more than we think that it has. But God always thinks bigger than just one lifetime. God always thinks about generations. When he made his covenant with Abraham in Genesis 17, uh, he, he said this covenant is with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. And in Moses' day, God said this. I, I would like you to read this one out loud with me if you would. This is out of Exodus 34. God says, I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations. That's scary stuff, you guys. That's really scary. The stuff that we pass on is not always the stuff we want to pass on. That's one of the reasons we have to be so intentional, strategic, and disciplined about passing on the things that we want to pass on. And that's why it's so crucial that we live it out before them. That we're honest when we fail, we're transparent about our weakness, and yet they're just as clearly they're saying, yeah, but this is real. This is really who this person is. This is really who my dad is, who my mom is, who my friend is, who my coworker is, who my spouse is. This is really who they are. Yeah, they failed today, but that's, whoa, that's a drop in the bucket. That is not the definition of who they are. And that's the same thing in, in, a, in a strange way as God. Yes, the, there's some scary stuff about God. And the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And yet we can trust this. In, in and of him, it, the, at the deepest part of God, he's always going to be good. That's what the psalmist meant when he wrote this. Let's say this one out loud as well. For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever. And his faithfulness continues to each generation. So this is what Paul is talking about in Ephesians when he wrote this. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. And what does the Lord want you to do? He wants you to live the story. Not telling it is not an option. Just telling it is not enough. We've got to live it. Jesus said in Luke 6.40, Students are not greater than their teacher. 
But the student who is fully trained will become like the teacher. What he's talking about there is not just that maybe they'll adopt some of the same mannerisms or teaching styles, use some of the same graphics or whatever else. What he's talking about is they're actually going to be like them. They're going to share their values. They're going to, in the next generations after that one, that the, there's still echoes of that original teacher in all the teachers that, that, that follow them because they become like them. And this is the dream. This is what God wants for us. When he speaks truth into our lives, when he shows us the way, when he sets us free from sin, and when he empowers us to do what is right, this is his dream, is that we become like him. And the only way to leave a legacy, listen to me, the only way to leave a legacy that honors God is to be passionate, strategic, intentional about doing that. Most of you already know most of what it takes. You know the steps to take. You know the values. You know the things you shouldn't do and should do. You already know that. What it takes is that you actually do it. The writer of Hebrews spends most of chapter 11 talking about all the heroes from the Old Testament. Men and women who served God faithfully, who served God not knowing that they would ever have their stories written down. Not knowing that they would someday be flannel graph pictures in Sunday school. Or I'm not sure, I don't think they even use flannel graph anywhere anymore. I know we don't here. But not knowing that they would be told and retold. They didn't know. They didn't, they, most of them died hundreds of years before the Messiah showed up. They had no idea the big picture, how it would all work out. They didn't know the kind of legacy they would leave. What they did know is what God told them to do in that moment. And what they did was what God told them to do in that moment. And that's why they had a legacy. And then he take, opens up chapter 12 by saying, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that so easily entangles and run the race that Christ has laid out for us. That's what it takes. That's what it takes to live a life that has an impact that's bigger than you. It's rooted in the one who's way bigger than all time. The one who created everything that we see. And smell and hear and taste. The one who is behind it all. The only way, the only truth. The only true source of real life. We root everything in that and we do everything we can to make that happen. There's a movie that came out several years ago. I think it's 30 years now. Called Dead Poet Society. There were several, um, several things I wish weren't in that movie. There were some things that disturbed me. and Things I, I, I would have left out or not put in if I wrote it. But it's... One of the more inspiring movies I've ever watched. And I'd like to share one idea from that this morning. The, the, the basic idea, if you've never seen it, the, the, the idea is this teacher in the middle. Um, all those guys are at this all-boys school, and they think he's just going to teach them a boring poetry class. But day one, he starts telling them to rip out the introduction to their poetry book. And they think he's joking, but he's like, no, no. And he says, keep ripping, gentlemen. This is a battle of war. And the casualties could be your hearts and souls. And they're like, what is going on? And then he huddles them all up. And he said, get closer, get closer. He leaves his desk behind. He gets them to leave their desk. They all get close up. You can see that in the picture. And he starts almost whispering to them some words from Walt Whitman's poem, O Me, O Life, which is a poem about kind of like Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. It's like, what's the point? Why should I even live? 
Why, why, if, if everything I do is this and then that, and when I succeed, this, and it's kind of, but then it, it, he, he gets to the conclusion and he, re, he, he quotes it to them with passion. They never knew that poetry could move them before. And he says this, what's the meaning of life? That you are here. That life exists and identity. That the powerful play goes on. And you may contribute a verse. That you are here. That life exists in identity. And the powerful play goes on. And that you may contribute a verse. Whether you like it or not. Life is bigger than you. Whether you try and do a good job or not. You will leave a legacy. But you exist. You are here. You have a chance to contribute a verse. What kind of a verse will you contribute? What will your verse be? If it's a verse that's going to honor God in every possible way, you're going to leave a legacy. That's my challenge to you this morning. The band's going to come and play. We're going to sing one more song of decision. And I'm not even going to give you options. At the, at the bottom of the outline in, in your bulletin insert, it says, Lord, I will. I'd love for you to write something down. Even as they're coming, just, God, I'm going to do this. Just write out a little prayer. And if you don't want to write it out, at least say it to him while we sing. Mean these words. And if you've got a, a decision that you really need to make public this morning, or you just want some prayer, please come. And if I miss you, would you tap me on your shoulder or something? Because I get lost in the music. And I, I really I really would love to make sure that we don't miss anybody. Let's, let's stand, let's sing, let's make the decisions we need to make.